Welcome to Hot Topics in Kidney Health, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation. Each episode, we highlight the latest in kidney research, bring you up-to-date news in kidney care, dispel myths, and answer your kidney health questions. If you are in need of a kidney transplant, finding a living donor can sound scary and overwhelming. Where should you start? And what's the best place to share your story with the world? In this episode, you will hear from transplant recipients who once stood in your shoes. Hi everyone, my name is Morgan Reed and I am the Director of Transplant Policy and Strategy with the National Kidney Foundation. I'm also a kidney recipient. That is a fun fact about me and I'm really excited to talk to everyone today about finding a living donor. Today with me, I have Gisela Dory. Gisela, would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself? Sure, thank you, Morgan. My name is Gisela Delgado and I am the Director of Creative and Brand for the IJ Nephropathy Foundation. And fun fact, I too am a kidney transplant recipient. And what's sort of interesting is that I was fortunate to be diagnosed very young in my, in my disease with IJ nephropathy. I was diagnosed at the age of 14 and ultimately it did lead to my kidney failure at the age of 38. And I was able to receive a living kidney donor from my brother. That's amazing. And such a coincidence. So I am a kidney recipient, as I mentioned, and IJ nephropathy was the reason why my kidneys failed as well. I was 18 when I was diagnosed with IJ nephropathy. By the time I was 21, I was in full kidney failure and started peritoneal dialysis. I was on PD just shy of two years before my best friend in college donated her kidney to me. So we celebrated our 15-year kidneyversary on January 9th. 2022. So thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to talk to you and Dory. Um, Dory, please share who you are, where you work, and your role on the transplant team. So my name is Dory Minch, and I am a social worker with Wake Forest Baptist Transplant Program in Winston-Salem in North Carolina. So um, what I do over here is I work with people who have had kidney transplants and try to promote and encourage their success and answer any questions they have and address any emotional concerns that they have. But I also work a lot with our pre-patients who are trying to get kidneys and try to be an advocate for them. Um, I do not have a fun fact about having received a kidney transplant, but I've met many, many people that have and I'm humbled by their experience and their efforts every single day. Um, so I am super excited to be included in this amazing group of women to talk to you about finding a living donor. Thank you so much, Dory. Can you please tell us more about the finding the living donor process? Sure. So the, the process starts before you probably even realize it, it begins. So when people find out that they have kidney disease and, and their nephrologists are talking to them about maybe meeting a transplant in the future, it's not a bad idea to share your story with people so they can get to learning about being a living donor and get to learning about what is involved in a kidney transplant. Um, once somebody is referred to a kidney transplant center, they can have a bigger conversation with the people in their life that they feel may be willing to hear their story about needing a kidney transplant. And so what people really need to look for and ask about is someone who's willing to donate on their behalf and not necessarily to them. Um, we are doing amazing things with kidney swaps. So if I need a kidney and my partner wants to donate to me but isn't a match, but there's somebody else who's in a similar situation, we can just swap kidneys. And people often hear about donor chains where there's three, four, five, six people who 
have donors that want to donate on their behalf and, and they all sort of get kidneys at the end of the day, but not from the person they bring to the table. What this does is it not only helps you get a transplant faster, um, but it also helps other people get a transplant faster because you're pulling yourself out of that deceased donor kidney list and getting a, a donor from a living donor, from someone that is donating for you. Um, it also, we know that living donors, those kidneys last longer. So it keeps you out of the deceased donor list even longer um, so that you're not needing another kidney from that list. So you're not just helping yourself by having these conversations about finding a living donor, you're educating everybody and you're helping all of these other people that need kidneys move up the list a little bit faster. That makes perfect sense. I work in the government relations department at the National Kidney Foundation. One of the things that we're working on in government relations are certain policy priorities. And one of our policy priorities is to increase education uh, surrounding de deceased and living donation. So one of the things that we communicate to people all of the time, um, whether it's the government or whomever, living donation is very important for the reason that you just stated. When someone can um, receive an organ, a kidney from someone else, it does shorten the wait time of the people that are on the waiting list waiting for a deceased organ. So I appreciate you bringing that up because that's a really important issue, especially as we um, look at donation and transplant from a disparities lens. Absolutely. Well, I know that some people listening to this podcast are looking for a living donor. Giselle and Morgan, what were your feelings when you were told that you would need to have a transplant? Giselle, I'll let you start. I'm going to be very honest. I, I think I felt pretty conflicted um, when I found that I needed the kidney transplant because um, as I mentioned before, I, I knew about my disease very early on and it was something that I was always anticipating. But then when it happens, it was kind of like, oh, wow, this is real. Um, and then sort of the project manager in me was like, okay, well, I guess I could do something about this. But it, it is, um, it, it hits really hard um, knowing that you need, um, and, and of course, like, you know, kidney transplants are in movies and they're in Grey's Anatomy episodes and, and you see it all the time. Um, and it's also never like that in real life, but it was very overwhelming. And I will say very honestly, and uh, in that moment, I felt pretty alone. Like I need this thing and it's not something I could just go and get by myself. I'm going to need help. Um, and I'm not the type of person generally to ask for help. I help other people. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I was, again, 18 when I found out that I had IG nephropathy and would eventually need a transplant. That was back in 2001. In my family, we use laughter as a way to cope with almost everything. So it wasn't that it was a funny situation. I felt pretty overwhelmed. I probably was a little bit afraid to learn that I have chronic kidney disease. Eventually, I'm going to need a transplant. I don't know what that looks like. Um, so I, it was a scary moment for me. But again, just trying to find some bit of levity. So I shared this with my family. We laughed and joked about some things. Uh, again, laughter is just medicine for me and my family and my community. And that's kind of how I dealt with it. But moving forward, like I was 21 when my kidneys failed. And at that time, that's when health insurances would um, kick you off of your parents' health care insurance. 
So I didn't have health care insurance when my kidneys failed, which was really difficult. I just assumed that when it was time for me to need a kidney transplant, my brothers or my sister would donate a kidney to me and that would just be the end of it. And that obviously was not the case. So thinking about finding someone to donate a kidney to me outside of my family, um, it was difficult to consider because like you, Gisela, I am not a person that likes to ask for things. And also donating a kidney to someone is something everyone can do, right? Many people have two kidneys. Maybe not everyone can do it based off of certain medical um, indications, but everyone has two kidneys. It's not this super taboo thing, but I, I just couldn't wrap my head around how am I ever going to pay someone back for saving my life, doing something so magnificent for me. And I'll tell you, my friend Kelly is who donated her kidney to me. And uh, we met in college. She literally was the perfect stranger. We had several classes together. We would hang out on campus and um, we got really close. And I told her that I needed a transplant. I was on dialysis and she asked me twice if she could donate her kidney to me. And the first time I told her no, because I literally, again, I couldn't wrap my head around how am I ever going to be able to pay her back for this monumental gift, this life-saving gift. Um, she came to me again six months later, and I just assumed at that time that that was God saying, listen, Morgan, I'm going to throw you this lifeline one more time. And Kelly went through with all the testing. And probably six to eight weeks later, we found out that she was a perfect match. So back when I was looking for um, a donor or not even looking for a donor, back when I was you know, diagnosed with uh, kidney failure and needed to go on dialysis, Social media was pop, uh, it was there, but it wasn't as popular as it is now. So I never considered that as um, a pathway to finding a donor. I just reconciled to myself. If one of my siblings can't give me a kidney, I'll be waiting for a deceased donor. But, you know, thank God Kelly came along and, and saved my life. Dory, what are some steps that people might take when being told they need a transplant? Wow, Morgan, that is a really overwhelming experience. And what an amazing person Kelly is. Gisela, what was it like for you to find a living donor? Yeah, uh, again, I think Morgan and I were meant to, to meet because I, too, um, apply humor to almost everything, even when it's seemingly inappropriate, like funerals. Um, I will find a way to make people laugh or try to lighten the load a bit. The minute I found out, okay, I need to find a living donor, the first thing I felt I needed to do was to start a blog, and I need to start like letting things out. Um, and my approach was a humorous one. And I started a blog called um, Chronic Abichuelas, which kind of just means like bad kidneys. Um, and I thought it was really smart and witty. And as time progressed, I realized that it was really hard to spell, hard to tell people about. <laughs> and um, I mean, I thought I was a genius. And then I realized it only made sense to me. And, and it was witty. And you know, I started to get subscribers and people were following me. And then as time progressed, I actually participated in the big ass, big give program at my, at my transplant center. And that was in the fall of 2017, I believe. And I met the infamous guy, his name is escaping me right now, but he, he wore a t-shirt in Disney world that said, I need a kidney transplant. And he went viral and he was pushing the strollers and people took pictures of him. And I was like, that's genius. Also, I can make a way better t-shirt. Like I'm a cool creative person. I'll make, I'll make some really cool t-shirts. 
me and my wife booked the trip to Disney. We were like, we're going to do this. If this is the code, then let's just go get that kidney. And um, we did that. We, we did get a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of people took photos with us. A, a lot of people came up to me and just said, sorry, like they felt guilty. Um, it was a learning experience. I didn't, that did not materialize into a, a kidney donor for me, but I learned from it. Um, but one of the things I, I kind of took a step back and I said, what was it about the photo? And uh, something I talk about very often when I speak with other patients about finding a living donor is vulnerability. So I think that someone seeing a father um, trying to have a good time with his kids pushing a stroller really normalized the situation. And I said, how can I also be vulnerable in sharing my story? And from there, I, I, I tried to switch up my social media presence. So I had the blog, but then I also started an Instagram account. And I, I learned a lot um, in strategy wise of like, how can I humanize my story so that more people could relate to it? Um, had a rescue dog at the time. I took a picture of him holding a photo that said, help me rescue my mom. I tagged the rescue group that he was a part of. That kind of went viral for a little bit. So you, what I realized is that you have to make it easy for people to share your story. And what I was saying was, can you help share my mom's story? I wasn't saying, hey, come give me that kidney. <laughs> I need you to go get tested. And um, that really changed the trajectory. I had many people go through the process um, and it is a lengthy process of people getting tested the not knowing when people are getting tested is tough when you're in that situation. Uh, and um, ultimately I was getting sicker and sicker and I had a gut check with myself and I, and I said, am I being honest about what I really need here? What, what, what needs to happen for Gisela? And um, my doctor told me that I was a pretty healthy candidate and that there was no reason that he didn't see that I would be able to receive a preemptive transplant. And that means getting a living kidney donor transplant before the need for dialysis. Um, at the time, at this, at this time now, I am, uh, my GFR is about a nine and my creatinine was a six. For those of you on the kidney journey, you know, those numbers are not great. I felt pretty terrible. Um, so I kicked up the vulnerability and I just started sharing more about what it really felt like to have kidney disease, um, and the need to feel seen. And I didn't need people, you know, I, I wanted a kidney, but I needed people to see me and to know that I wasn't okay. And, and luckily what I learned, and I'm very grateful that me being more vulnerable, my, my brother, who, who knew that I was sick. Um, and, and mind you, I had several people tested at this point. He didn't realize the severity. Um, when he knew that it was getting that serious, like, and you know me, for me to just be like, I, I wanna live, I wanna, I wanna get back to living. Um, he got tested, didn't say anything. And, and two weeks later, you know, we were in surgery. And, I, and I'm so grateful for that, but that would have never happened if I didn't kind of let my guard down. I was, I was too worried about trying to protect everyone else and not make people feel um, like they weren't good enough. And, and there were many ways that people helped along my journey. Um, you know, you can't 
you're not willing to donate a kidney for whatever reason, personal and being afraid is okay. I'm not trying to trick anybody into anything. I think um, I learned a lot about people during this process. People are always watching and they're always looking for ways in which they can help. But sometimes you literally have to say it. This is how you can help me. Aside from I need a kidney. It's, hey, um, I need someone to go to an appointment with me. I'm really struggling with meals right now. And I had friends trying to make some of my favorite foods, but making them more kidney friendly. And, and that I really appreciated. So I can't advocate enough for anyone listening to this. If, if you're looking for a living donor, you're also looking to be seen and just really try to be as vulnerable as you can. Um, and you're still keeping your integrity, but just share your story. You're only a patient when you're in front of the doctor. Every other time you're, you're still you. And um, yeah, I, I learned the hard way by trying to be too tough for too long. And um, there's no reason why some other people can't learn from my mistakes. You know, Gisela, you said something really interesting about being worried about taking care of other people. And I know when I speak with people about, you know, asking if they have a living donor and they give me all the reasons why they don't want their son or their mom or their sister or this one to donate because they don't want to put them in harm's way. And I think something that's really important for people to understand is when an individual is being worked up for a kidney transplant, that person is being worked up for a kidney transplant. Is that person healthy enough for a kidney transplant? And it doesn't matter where that comes from, whether it comes from a living donor or a deceased donor. Like that person, if they're in our building, they need a kidney transplant. When we work up a living donor, that is usually a completely separate team. And so that team is only looking at that living donor. Is this person healthy enough to donate their kidney? Do they have enough to share? Can they share their spare? And they don't are not concerned with the recipient and, and how badly the recipient needs a kidney because everybody needs a kidney. They are only concerned with that, that living donor being healthy enough to donate a kidney. And so when, when people are offering to be a donor or you're thinking about who could be a donor, you don't have to take care of them because your living donor program will absolutely take care of them beyond anything you can even understand. You learn about you know, different types of kidneys you might get from a deceased donor. Your living donor needs to be healthy enough so that your living donor team can predict as, with as much certainty as possible that they will never need any type of renal replacement therapy. And so our living donor program, and, and I imagine all living donor programs, they don't take risks with, with our living donors. If, if there's any concern that they may develop any kind of kidney disease or have any lifestyle or behave, behavioral issues that might lead to kidney disease, they will encourage them to be your advocate, but not to take care of a kidney. So I love the fact that you wanna take care of your people and not put them in harm's way. But I, I think it's really important for you, for everybody to understand, that we will not put, any program will never put a living donor in any type of harm's way to benefit a recipient. And I think that's something really important for people to understand, to take that stress off of yourself and thinking that you have to take care of somebody because let us take care of them and let us evaluate them. And, and if they're not a candidate, then they get to share their experience with other people who may be candidates. And in so many ways, they're working for an as an advocate, not just for you, but for anybody else that might need a living donor transplant at any time in the future. Giselle, I think you said something really important, and that is making yourself vulnerable, putting your story out there, 
letting people know your needs. I also love your comment about you're only a patient in front of your physician. And I think that's something that people have to remember. Your friends, your family, strangers don't see you as a patient. You're whoever you are. You're Gisela, you're Dory, you're Morgan, you're you, you're whoever you are. So I think it's really important. Um, that's a really important message to communicate. I will tell you, I, even though I'm 15 years post-transplant, I always get really nervous when I go in to do lab work because I'm always like waiting to see what's my creatinine? Um, what do my lab numbers look like? And I think to myself, if I needed a kidney again, how would I do things differently the second time? I hope I never need another transplant. But if I do, I definitely would be more vocal. Everything that you just said, I would do that. Social media wasn't as popular back in 2005 as it is now. And trust and believe that I would be on every social media platform, the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Facebooks, the whatever is out there, um, LinkedIn, whatever, shouting from the rooftops that I need a kidney and I need help and I want to live and I have a purpose and I want people to see that I'm someone that they want to keep on earth for as long as they possibly can. So I appreciate that message that you shared with everyone. I think it's really important. And I too would encourage anyone looking for a living donor uh, not to be afraid. Let people know your needs. People can't read minds. So if you need something, please, please don't hesitate to share. And one of the things that I was thinking about is self-care and how aware we are of how important self-care is. This is a part of self-care. You are on this journey. You're going to need help at every step on this journey. Just ask for help, whether it's your friends, your family, your dialysis center staff, the transplant staff, everyone um, in these organizations are there to help you. Just ask. And you know, I hear a lot of people say that they're uncomfortable asking for someone to donate. You know, I can't ask someone to just give me their kidney. And what I encourage people to do is just what you guys have done. Share your journey, share your experience, share, hey, you know what? My doctor told me I needed a kidney transplant and I went to the transplant center today and they told me that I can get a kidney from a living person, that we all really only need one kidney if it's healthy and that this person will be worked up and they'll be made sure that they're healthy. And so you share your story and you share your experience and if you're not comfortable asking and sharing your story, you're not asking for anything. And so people can come back and say, well, hey, I, can I learn some more about that? Is there something I can fill out to like, see if I can do this for you? Sure, absolutely. Here's a packet. Here's an email. Here's a phone number that you can call and get that information. And in that way, you don't have to ask for a kidney. You just have to share your story. And people people are good. I mean, there are there is so much more good in this world than there is bad. And we just don't hear about the good. We have people just calling our program all the time saying, hey, I've got an extra kidney and you know what? I'm not using it. And I know somebody probably needs it and I don't know who that person is, but can I see if I can give it to you guys and you can find a great person for it. And we're like, absolutely, come in, come in. I have to tell you, I was really scared to ask for help. I wasn't even just scared, I was, I knew that I was going to tell my family. I have three brothers and one sister. I have a whole host of cousins. All of my family knew some of them went and got tested. They weren't candidates for one reason or another. 
And again, I was a student in university at the time. And I never shared with my college friends or peers that I was on dialysis because I didn't want anyone feeling sorry for me or treating me any differently. The only way that Kelly came to know that I needed a kidney was because the university that I attended was right, it was in New Jersey, right outside of Manhattan. And all of my friends would go hang out and party at night. We both commuted to the school that we went to. And while everyone was going to hang out at night after we had all hung out on campus all day, everyone was going to uh, live their best lives in New York City. And I was going home to connect to a dialysis machine and Kelly would ask me all the time, why aren't you willing to hang out with everyone? We spend so much time on campus. Why don't you wanna hang out and party with everyone? And I eventually just told her, listen, I'm on dialysis. I need a kidney transplant. This is why I can't hang out with everyone. She is literally the only person that I told. And she came back to me two weeks later after asking her mom, mom, what's my blood type? Because she would tell, this is how she tells the story. I went and I asked my mom, mom, what's my blood type? And her mom was like, why do you want to know your blood type? <laughs> and she's like, I want to give my friend a kidney. And her mom was shocked and apprehensive, which rightfully so, right? I mean, she doesn't know much about the process and um, she wants to protect her daughter and I get it. But Kelly did again, she went through with the testing after asking me twice and was a perfect match. So I don't suggest the way that I did things the first time for the people needing a, a living donor. Don't do what I did, but I will just, that was just my experience. I was really guarded and scared and uneducated and uneducated about this whole process. So again, just to, to piggyback off of Gisela and you, Dory, make your wishes known, everyone. Make your needs known so that everyone knows uh, what you need and you open the window of opportunity for yourself for people to help you out. You know, Gisela, you had mentioned earlier, but also to Lupi and Morgan, what kind of things did you find? You mentioned what you needed in the process of living, finding a living donor as far as support, but what kind of support did you find you needed after the transplant itself in your recovery and sort of moving beyond the date of the surgery? Yeah, so I would say it was getting a kidney transplant for me was like a huge climatic moment, which I imagine it is for many people. I needed some me time after, and I was really grateful uh, that my partner, my wife was able to kind of help shield me a little bit because it was like, you're still healing and there's a lot to heal. There's this huge, um, for me, it was, you know, oh my God, I need this kidney. I, I'm going to get this kidney. You get the surgery. And then it's like, oh my God, that happened. Now what? And you don't just get a kidney transplant. And then it's like, oh, control, delete back to, <laughs> back to some time before. And, and for me, that time before, you know, I don't, I don't know how long I felt sick for. I mean, I was diagnosed super young. This is a new me that exists today that hasn't existed before. That's, that's what I say. Um, I think rediscovery of like myself, like who am I this person now? And what do I wanna be spending my time doing? Because self-care is real. And just because you have a transplant doesn't mean that I could then um, just put, put a lot of time and effort into other things that quote unquote don't matter. I find myself, I've always had good perspective, but now I think post-transplant, 
I have even more perspective on the things that are important. And I think for me, it's not feeling guilty saying no, because now I'm quote unquote better because I had a transplant. I can say no to things because I just don't want to do them. I know that sounds, it can sound a little mean to some people, but it's just a different perspective on life of, you know, there, there are things that are important to me. And I want to spend more time doing that because for so long, I just had to sacrifice a lot because of my health. And even now in a post, you know, in, in a post transplant and COVID happening, there's a lot of things that still make my health very much top of mind. And I can't just hang out with people like everyone else can because of my um, immunity that is still very much compromised. And I don't feel guilty anymore. Like I would maybe old Gisela feeling guilty that I'm saying, no, I can't do that. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna come to your house and hang out. No, I'm not gonna meet you at the bar because at the end of the day, um, getting a kidney transplant is also a treatment. It's not a cure. And I'm going to protect this thing with all my might, with the power that I have. Could not agree more. When you're going through organ failure, sometimes you just need the support from the people that truly understand what you're going through. And my dialysis nurse, even my nephrologist, they were so, so supportive of me during that time. Post-transplant, my family was everything. My mom took care of me. One thing that was really important for me after my transplant, after I was released from my three-month quarantine post-transplant to go back into the world again, I went back to my dialysis center to volunteer and educate dialysis patients on the transplant process. And when I would walk in and share my story, they'd look at me and they'd say, you had a transplant? You don't look sick. You don't like you would have ever been sick. And that, that, was, uh, that was important for me because I, again, just being on dialysis, I know while you're waiting for an organ, you need hope. And I wanted to go back and give the dialysis patients at my center hope. Um, even though I did PD, I did visit my dialysis center weekly because again, my dialysis nurse was really supportive. She would also give me my epigen shots, something that I could have done myself. But again, as, as someone who was 21, 22, I, I didn't feel comfortable doing it. So she did that for me. But it was my dialysis nurse that got me through. And one of the things that I wish existed at the time was a post-transplant support group. I think that would have been really helpful for me, just navigating a life after transplant because you are immunocompromised. You have to be really careful about the places that you go and the people that you're around. Because again, as Gisela mentioned, this is not a cure, it is a treatment. Um, people that make decisions to donate, whether they're living donors or donor families or people that authorize for donation to happen on their license or their living will or whatever, they're making such a sacrifice, such a gift. You want to do everything in your power, as Gisela said, to protect that. Um, so yeah, just, I wish I had people to talk to about that, but my family was amazing. And, and again, I can't, I can literally not give enough kudos to Judy, my dialysis nurse. When I walked into the emergency room and my kidneys failed, um, you all may have heard that terminology crashing onto dialysis. Uh, I am someone that somewhat crashed onto dialysis. I did not have health insurance when my kidneys failed. And so I spent probably a year and a half without taking any medications, without seeing my nephrologist. And one day 
I was in Atlanta. I was visiting my aunt. And I remember saying to her, I don't feel like myself. I don't feel normal. And my aunt asked me, well, when's the last time you've checked your blood pressure? And I'm like, I don't know. Because, you know, when you're young, you think you're invincible and that, you know, things aren't going to happen to you. And so we went to the grocery store. I sat down at a blood pressure cuff. My blood pressure read 228 over 160. I call my mom in New Jersey, who's a nurse. And I say, mom, my blood pressure is 228 over 160. And she said, that can't be right. Take it again. So I take it again. It's a little bit higher the second time. And my mom starts yelling and screaming on the phone as a good New Jersey mom would do. <laughs> and my aunt says, hang up the phone on her because she's going to kill you before you make it to the hospital. My aunt rushes me to the hospital. And again, my blood pressure was sky high. My creatinine was 18, which the emergency room doctor said, I've never seen anyone with a creatinine of 18. I had cerebral edema. I needed a lumbar puncture to get the fluid off of my brain. I had grade four retinopathy. I thought I needed glasses. I couldn't see. It was because of the retinopathy from my blood pressure being so high for so long. Um, and I flew back to New Jersey after being on the ICU for a few days in Atlanta. And I saw my nephrologist and he said to me, Morgan, you were going to need a transplant one day, not, but you know, it's okay that it's sooner than necessary, but I want you to know when you receive a transplant, it is then that you will know the value of a kidney. I will never forget him saying that to me. He is so right. Um, I do everything that I can to protect my kidney, but I got admitted to the hospital and I had my tank off catheter placed. And after it was, uh, after my surgery, I woke up and there was Judy and Judy was starting to like, after it healed a few days, I, I met Judy and then it, my tank off catheter healed for a few days. And then we started dialysis training in the hospital before I transferred um, to the center. But Judy has been with me. She was there from, from the second, the moment I started dialysis until the day of my transplant. So again, I just can't give enough kudos to dialysis nurses everywhere because I know the job that they do isn't easy. And um, I just, I have so much respect for them and the work that they do. So I'm sorry, I had to say that. It's just my long-winded story. It's but it so was powerful. Else I wanna say that I'm not crying, I'm cutting onions over here at work. Yeah, it was an incredible process, but I, I'm so happy to be on this podcast talking to you, Gisela, and you, Dory. The work that we do is so critically important. I think it's really, really crucial that um, everyone listening to the podcast knows that you're not alone, and we have lived this experience, and make your voice heard, like your voice matters make your needs and your wants known during this process. You only have one life. Do what you can to protect it. A hundred percent. I just want to say that, um, Morgan, so you know, you know, you're 15 years post-transplant. I'm three years. You're lifting me up right now. You're giving me hope because you believe what you see, right? So I can read about people getting a, a donor and, and lasting 20 years. That's nice. But when you see it, it feels right. Um, and and I'm sure that when you go to those dialysis centers and, and you tell people and they see you, they believe it. And, and when people feel hope, it's, uh, it's not something that could be measured. It's some sort of uh, aura. You'll, you, it gives you a charge. And, and um, 
I know that's why I do the work that I do. And gladly, I literally will help any single patient that reaches out to me and, and direct them with resources. I'm good at creative and making things. It is not hard to make creative resources um, to share your story. I will gladly do that to any single person listening to this podcast because that's easy. The hard work is keeping your head in the game and, and knowing that you're not alone. So I definitely want, I, I reiterate that anyone listening to this, you are not alone. I'm, I'm three years in this game. We got Morgan 15 years um, post-transplant and we're here and we're thriving. We're not just existing. So I, I think that's really important for people to know. Dory, if someone doesn't want to step forward as a potential donor or goes through the evaluation process and finds out they can't donate for whatever reason, what are some ways they can still be supportive to someone who needs a transplant? They can be an advocate. They can be an advocate in sharing your story. They can be an advocate in telling their experience through you know, being evaluated to be a living donor. They can be a champion if you need to fundraise. They can be a part of your caregiving team. They can help you with the meal train afterwards. There are so many pieces that people who get a kidney need, whether it comes from a living donor or it comes from a deceased donor. Many people feel tired. They need transportation after transplant. They're gonna need some rides. And, and like I said, if people just wanna help, there's so many people that all you have to do is ask. And it's, it's hard to ask for a kidney, but if someone's offered to be evaluated and they've been evaluated and they still wanna help to say, hey, you know what? I'm good right now, but after transplant, I understand I may not wanna cook. I may need a ride. I may need someone just to sit with me at night. I may need just someone to call who's been a little bit through the people that I've been working with and listen to me talk. They, they, there's so many things and so many pieces involved in the life of a transplant recipient that the sky's the limit. And, and the kidney is the big deal. The kidney is a big deal, but you cannot take care of that kidney if you don't have all of these people to surround you in love and support after the transplant. Thank you so much, Dory. I, you know, I want to share one thing. I, in looking for a donor, so I remember when I found out that I was going to need a kidney and my, I have a brother who's the same blood type as me. And I asked him if he would get tested. And this is a brother. He doesn't like needles. He doesn't like hospitals. It's just not his thing. And he wouldn't get tested. And I remember my other siblings had gone to get tested and they weren't candidates to donate a kidney. And they were really, really angry with my brother who was the same blood type, healthy, worked out, but wouldn't get tested. But I wasn't, I wasn't. And maybe that's because I was afraid to ask for a kidney anyway, I don't know. But what my brother did do was support me in other ways. So even though he didn't go through with the testing, I could have been really angry with him, but I wasn't. And, and you just explained many, many ways that a person can help. And he was there for me after the transplant. So that's just, you know, for what it's worth, I wanted to mention that too. It's scary to ask for an organ for some people. And then for other people, it's scary to wanna to go through the process. So I just, for me, it was really, really important to um, manage my expectations through the process too. So I, I just wanted to share that. I, as you mentioned, Dory, people are good and they have good, and most people have really good intentions, 
So just keeping that in mind too, there are multiple ways that a person can help support you through your transplant journey. If they're not able to be a donor or they're too scared to go through the testing, there are a multitude of other ways that people can help support you through this process. Well, this has been amazing. So inspiring. And I have loved chatting with you ladies. Yes, I hope we can do it IRL someday. Yes, this was really great. I have to say April is National Donate Life Month. So for all of you out there, I feel like I want to do my air horn, which is something that I do all the time when I try to get people pumped up. I'm going to just do it. That's right. (laughs) This is your life. Live your best life as best as you can. No matter the circumstance, find some sunshine in every day and find, you know, find your people, find your support system. Um, as Dory I'm hugging you guys. I'm hugs. hugging you from here. Uh, you're amazing. You are such an inspiration. Thank you. Thank, and Dory, thank you for everything that you do to help patients. It's a big deal. Oh, it's, it's just a such a small deal. piece and I'm happy to do it. I just, you are so inspiring. Thank you for I'm this like, opportunity. This yes. So they can hear your stories. Yes. And super shout out to the National Kidney Foundation for allowing us to be a part of this podcast series. Yes. Thank you for the invite. Yes. And I think, I think that's it. I hope you ladies have a great day. Everyone listening, have a a wonderful day and good luck. Wishing you all the best. Thanks for listening. Maria Grijalva was lucky enough to find her own living donor in her brother, John. They are celebrating 35 years since John gave Maria the gift of life. Happy transplant anniversary, Maria and John. Make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also email us directly with your comments and suggestions at nkfpodcast at kidney.org. We hope you will join us next time. And from all of us at NKF, we wish you good health.